0: Would you turn with me in a Bible to the book of Exodus? The book of Exodus is the second book in the Bible, comes right after Genesis. We are going through this uh, foundational book in the Old Testament. We see the journey of the Israelites from bondage to Pharaoh to belonging to God. And what God did for the Israelites in the book of Exodus, he's done for us in an even greater way through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, bringing us out of bondage to sin and death and bringing us in to his kingdom to belong to him as his children, as brothers and sisters of his own son, Jesus Christ. So last week and this week, we are looking at the story of the 10 plagues, which I'm calling the great showdown because Pharaoh had been refusing to let the Israelites go and saying, uh, I'm gonna oppress them, and they're gonna be my slaves forever. And God is saying to Pharaoh, "No. I'm gonna set you're gonna you're gonna set them free, and I'm gonna show you who's really in charge." So last week we read the first three plagues, and today I want to read starting at chapter eight, verse twenty. This is a very long section, as I said last week. It's four chapters, so I'm not gonna read all four chapters. I'm just gonna give you uh, some of the story, you'll sort of see there's a pattern that goes on and on. Um, And last week we talked about uh, God's purpose in the plagues was to save his people, to judge his enemies, and to reveal his character. Uh, Today we're going to look at the character of Pharaoh. So as I read this account of the plague, I want you to notice especially what Pharaoh does, what Pharaoh says, and how he responds, because that's the guy we're going to focus on this morning. What do we learn from him? All right, chapter 8, beginning at verse 20 of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people Tomorrow this sign shall happen, and the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, Will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow, only... Let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out on sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and on all the Egyptians, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh." and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses." We'll stop there. In the year 1875, while recovering from surgery due to a tuberculosis infection, William Ernest Henley wrote the following poem. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. It matters not how narrow the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The poem is entitled Invictus, which means un conquered. Now many have found this poem inspiring uh, as an expression of resilience in the face of adversity. Winston Churchill quoted it. Nelson Mandela quoted it. uh, United States prisoners of war in North Vietnam quoted this poem. Uh, But it's not just an expression of human resilience in the face of adversity. It's also an expression of defiance. Uh, Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, chose this poem as his final statement before his execution. And this poem, Invictus, could well have been the motto of the person that we're focusing on this morning, Pharaoh. Pharaoh boasted that he was unconquerable, invincible, the master of his own fate, the captain of his own soul, the sovereign ruler over all of Egypt, and no one could question him. But in the face of the one true God, Pharaoh was none of those things. He was not invincible He was not all powerful. He was not the master of his fate. He was not the captain of his soul. He was a mere mortal accountable to Almighty God. So this morning I want to look at the question, what do we learn from the character of Pharaoh in this story of the plagues that God sends upon Egypt? And I want us to consider this question from the perspective of uh, when the book of Exodus was written or how the story developed, Uh, And when you think of it this way, if Moses was telling this story to the people of Israel after God had set them free from slavery in Egypt and when they were walking through the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land, if Moses was telling them this story, what did Moses want them to learn from Pharaoh and how he behaved? I think there are two main lessons for the Israelites back then and for us today. So the first lesson we learn from the character of Pharaoh is that God is sovereign even over a man like Pharaoh. In other words, God accomplishes his purposes not only despite Pharaoh hardening his heart and refusing to listen to God, but even through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Now, according to the ancient Egyptian religion, uh, Pharaoh's heart was pure. The ancient Egyptians believed, uh, sort of similar to many of us, that the essence of a person was found in their heart. And they also believed that after death, your heart would be weighed on a scale. And on one side of the scale was a feather, the feather of righteousness. And on the other side of the scale was your heart. And if your heart was good and righteous, then your heart would be lighter than a feather, and you would go on to eternal bliss. And if your heart was heavy with evil and wickedness, then it would weigh down the scale and you would go to an unpleasant place. Now, according to the Egyptian religion, Pharaoh was the manifestation of the sun god. And so Pharaoh's heart would, have been, would be lighter than a feather. That's what the ancient Egyptians believed. But the true god judged otherwise. Uh, From chapter 4 through chapter 14, there are a total of 20 statements about Pharaoh's heart. And every one of those statements says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, or Pharaoh hardened his heart, or God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So it's the one phrase that appears at the end of every one of the ten plagues. It's the most repeated phrase in this whole section. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. About half the time it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and about half the time it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and there's an important truth in both of those statements. Um, God is sovereign and we are responsible. It's not one or the other. The Bible teaches that both of those truths are, sta- both of those statements are true. Uh, we'll get into that in a little more depth about what, what that means, but just setting that up from the beginning. Now. There are two different Hebrew words that are translated hardened in these statements. So one of them appears eight times. uh, And this first word is usually translated heavy or dense. So in chapter 5, it refers to heavy work. In chapter 9, it refers to heavy hail. In chapter 8 and 10, it refers to dense swarms of flies and locusts. Uh, But in eight of these places, it basically says Pharaoh's heart was heavy or Pharaoh made heavy his heart. Uh, In other words, what this word is telling us, this verb is telling us is Pharaoh's heart was not good and righteous. It was not lighter than a feather. It was heavy and weighed down with evil and sin. And so God was saying to Pharaoh, you think you're pure, but actually you're not. Uh, But Pharaoh claimed not only to be pure, but also to be invincible. And the other word that's translated hardened is a word that commonly means strengthened. Uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart or God strengthened Pharaoh's heart. So in Pharaoh's mind, Pharaoh thought, I can do what I want. These people are my subjects. I can make them work as hard as I want. I won't pay them anything. They're slaves, they're foreigners. I'm not gonna respect them. I can do whatever I want. Nobody has the right to tell me different. And God was saying to Pharaoh, no, that's not true. So throughout this whole story, we see that God is in control even over Pharaoh's own heart. That's why it says in many places, God strengthened Pharaoh's heart. Now, what does that mean? Many of us, you might be reading this section and you might get to these points where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we might have some questions about that and think, what does that mean? Um, So. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Pharaoh's heart was previously soft and God injected something into it from the outside to make it hard. Okay, that's not the case. Because when Pharaoh first appears in the story, he's dead set against letting the Israelites go. Uh, He had absolutely no desire or no willingness to uh, liberate, God's people. Uh, So what this means is, it doesn't mean that God added something to Pharaoh's heart to make him hardened and sinful. No, Pharaoh is already completely going against God. And it says God strengthened Pharaoh's heart to continue in the direction that he was already going. Uh, And that's a strong statement, and it's a scary statement, because it's a manifestation of God's judgment on Pharaoh. Uh, One commentator put it this way, one of the ways that God punishes sin is to allow the sin to continue and to take its destructive course. You see, every day God shows all kinds of mercy to this world by restraining all kinds of people from doing all kinds of things that in their hearts they want to carry out. Every day God in his providence uh, prevents the world from going down the tubes into utter chaos. He holds the world together physically just at the level of the physical structure of the world and God holds the world together so that there are so many things that, that could happen that God prevents from happening. Uh, every single one of us here has experienced this blessing of God. Sometimes it's called common grace. It means God's grace and mercy that are shown to the world regardless of whether people recognize where it's coming from. Right, the sun shines and the rain comes and every day that there's not a completely destructive storm, it's because God upholds the world to, and holds it all together. Uh, but here's the thing, God does not always restrain every evil inclination of every human heart. Off, uh, sometimes the more God restrains the evil inclinations of human beings, the more people deny that we have any evil inclinations at all. And the Bible says that that's actually one of the worst deceptions of all, to think that our heart, to think like Pharaoh did, that our hearts are completely pure and that we'll be just fine. So sometimes God does what he does here with Pharaoh. He chooses to give, us, to give people over to their evil inclinations, to harden our hearts in the direction we're already headed, to put on display the exceeding sinfulness of sin, and it's not a pretty picture. God is keeping Pharaoh alive and strengthening him even as Pharaoh is persisting in his defiance of God and his uh, oppression of God's people. But ironically, the harder Pharaoh tries to resist God's purpose, the more he ends up serving God's purpose. That's what God says. If you look at chapter 9, verse 16, God says, I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So Pharaoh wasn't just an obstacle to God's plan. He was also one of the means through which God's plan was carried out. And we looked at this somewhat last week, how with every one of the plagues, god was, a, god was attacking one of the idols that the Egyptians worshipped. They worshipped the Nile River, and it turned to blood. They worshipped a God who looked like a frog, and God sent all kinds of frogs to hop all over their houses and their, in their beds and, and make them crazy. right? And uh, the Egyptians worshipped uh, all kinds of things. They worshipped the sun god, and God sent darkness on their land. So with all of the plagues, God was showing the Egyptians none of these idols are worth worshiping. And last week we talked about how sometimes our hearts get attached to something that they shouldn't, that that's, might be a good thing, but it's not as good as God. And sometimes our hearts get attached to something and we think we need it and we have to have it and sometimes God takes it away from us or God makes it sort of self-destruct and we realize that our idols are not going to rescue us and it's God calling us to trust in him alone as the only true God. So here's the thing. God is going to reveal his character to the world. He is going to bring salvation to his people, whether you want him to or not. That's what God wants the people to learn from the character of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was dead set against God's plan, and God said, my plan is going to go forward, and you're not going to stand in the way of it. Now. If you're stubbornly resisting God, like Pharaoh was, this is a terrifying warning, that you may end up a slave to your own worst tendencies, but you won't succeed in thwarting God's plans. But it can also be an encouragement. If, you're being, if you are like the Israelites were here in Egypt, if you're being severely mistreated or persecuted for the sake of obedience to God, this truth can bring great comfort and confidence. Right? Imagine being a Christian right now, let's say in North Korea or in an area controlled by ISIS or some uh, other part of the world. Do you see how this truth that God is in control and God is still on the throne, even over a man like Pharaoh, could bring comfort and encouragement to believers who are enduring great persecutions? Sometimes God's people come face to face with tyrants like Pharaoh, who are obstinate and unyielding and in their opposition to uh, the Lord. And God wants his people to know, I'm not surprised. And despite their boasting, the Pharaohs of this world are not stronger than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ will ultimately triumph over them. Now, there are two Psalms in the Old Testament that specifically mention the 10 plagues. Uh, one of them is Psalm 105. We read it last week. It's a psalm of praise. And here's what, how the psalm begins. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Remember the wondrous works that he has done his miracles and the judgments he uttered. And that psalm goes on to enumerate the 10 plagues one by one as something the people of Israel should remember that God is sovereign. God is in charge even over a man like Pharaoh. And therefore, we can praise God with confidence. So that's the first half of what God wanted the Israelites to learn and God wants us to learn from the character of Pharaoh, that God is sovereign, he's on the throne, he's in charge, even over people like Pharaoh. But here's the second lesson. The second lesson is the other side of the coin, right? God is sovereign, and we are responsible. Both of those are biblical truths, and the second lesson is, follows from our responsibility. The second lesson is, don't harden your heart like Pharaoh did. The people of Israel in the wilderness, they needed confidence, they needed to know that God was on the throne, that he was sovereign, and that truth gives us confidence when we face adversity, but we also need not just confidence, but we also need humility, because we too are prone to harden our hearts. Pharaoh was not just a crazy monster, Pharaoh was a human being, like the rest of us. And so many places in the Bible, God warns us, don't harden your hearts. Uh, In fact, that's the emphasis of the other psalm that mentions the 10 plagues, which is Psalm 78. And uh, just some verses from there says, how often the Israelites rebelled against God in the wilderness. They tested God again and again. They did not remember his power or the day when he performed his signs in Egypt. In other words, the people of Israel forgot how God punished Pharaoh for hardening his heart. And so they followed the same pattern and hardened their own hearts against the Lord. And that's the same warning we heard from the book of Hebrews, which Marilyn read for us earlier. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. Now the book of Exodus doesn't hold out a lot of hope for Pharaoh. But there is hope for you and for me if we will listen to God's voice today. Uh, And so I want to do what the book of Hebrews tells us to do. It says, exhort or encourage one another every day so that we don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So I want to show you five ways, I'm just going to do these five briefly, each one of them, but five ways that Pharaoh's hardened heart showed itself in order to warn us against falling into the same pattern. So first way that Pharaoh's hardened heart showed itself is Pharaoh ignored God when he was prosperous, and he raged against God when things went badly for him. He ignored God in prosperity. He raged against God in adversity. Um, Right For much of his life, God had prospered Pharaoh. He was on top of the world. He had more power, more money, more fame, than pretty much anybody else in ancient Egypt. And guess what? Pharaoh didn't thank the Lord. He didn't worship the one true God. In fact, he worshiped himself. Pharaoh said he himself was a God that the people should worship. And when Moses and Aaron confronted him and said, you need to listen to the one true God, he said, who's the Lord? I don't know who he is. I'm not going to listen to him. Pharaoh had no interest in seeking God when he was prospering. He had everything he could want, and God didn't matter to him at all. And then God afflicted Pharaoh. God made Pharaoh's life hard and harder and harder with one painful and destructive plague after another, and Pharaoh couldn't just deny God's reality and ignore God's reality, but instead he became increasingly hostile toward God and God's people. So sometimes, uh, so in chapter 10, in the last two plagues, he drives Moses and Aaron out of his presence. He says, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you again. I don't want you warning me again about who the true God is. So here's a challenge. How are you, how are we responding to God in our prosperity? When life is good and easy and we have what we want and things are going well for us, Do we just ignore God like Pharaoh did and worship ourselves and just focus on getting what I want? And then how do we respond to God when adversity befalls us, when our life gets hard, and when things happen that are painful and that we don't want? Do we draw close to the Lord in prayer or do we curse him in our hearts? That's the first. Challenge, how do we respond to prosperity and adversity? Second challenge, Pharaoh began by resisting God and his messengers, and he ended up ruining his own people. So Pharaoh hardened his heart against God from the beginning. He didn't want to listen to Moses and Aaron, God's messengers, but over time, his heart became hardened, not just toward God, not just toward Moses and Aaron, but toward his own people as well. So the first plague says the Egyptians had to dig along the Nile River to get clean water. Pharaoh didn't care. Pharaoh had a bunch of servants. Pharaoh didn't have to do any digging. He would send his servants, you go down to the river, dig down below the water table, bring me some clean water, because the river ain't good. You do my work. Pharaoh didn't care that all the Egyptians had to dig along the river to get clean water to not die of thirst. He had plenty of servants to do his dirty work. And over time, the land of Egypt becomes increasingly ruined. And so his, his, we heard about when his court officials, his magicians, they couldn't even stand before him because they had boils all over their skin. It was so painful. They couldn't even come before Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't care. And then chapter 11, or chapter 10, verse 7, some of his officials come and plead with him and they say, don't you yet understand? Our country is ruined because you still won't listen to God. Pharaoh shrugs his shoulders and finally Moses threatened the final plague and Pharaoh still didn't care. He still didn't back down. You see, Pharaoh began by resisting God and God's messengers but over time, his heart became hardened even towards the people who were closest to him. And that's a sober warning. If we harden our hearts against God, then often we end up hardening our hearts against other people, even the people who are closest to us. Third warning, Pharaoh was sorry for the consequences, but not for his sin. So several times, Pharaoh pleaded for relief from the plagues. Plead with the Lord, take away the frogs. Plead with the Lord, there's been enough of God's thunder and hail. Plead with the Lord, remove this plague from me. After the seventh and eighth plague, Pharaoh even says, I have sinned. So chapter 9, verse 27, he says, this time I've sinned. The Lord's in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. Chapter 10, verse 16, he says, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once. Now, notice two things about Pharaoh's confessions. This time I have sinned, he says. Forgive my sin, please, only this once. Really? Just this once? You've messed up? Only once? You see, even a very stubborn person can be argued into a corner and forced to admit that they were wrong just this once. It wasn't a pattern. It's not a character flaw. Just a mistake. Just this once, I'm sorry. But the Bible says that sin is not just a one-time mistake. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So every time we curse somebody out, Every time we despise someone with our words, the Bible says it's not just a one-time mistake. It's an indication that our heart has some wrong desires and wrong impulses within it and ungodly thoughts. The book of James says that sinful actions begin with sinful desires. It says, desire gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so if sin is rooted in our hearts, in our misplaced desires, the only way for us to really change is not to say, oh, sorry, I just made a mistake just this once. The only way to actually change and learn and grow is to deal with sin at the heart level and acknowledge I am focused on the wrong things. I've been worshiping an idol instead of the true God. I just want my own way, and I don't like it when anybody else gets in my way. We have to deal with things at that level, and Pharaoh never does. So that's why Moses said, after Pharaoh said, forgive me just this once, Moses said, I know that you don't really fear the Lord God. Pharaoh was sorry for the consequences because they were painful, but he wasn't sorry for his sin. So that's the third challenge that this passage gives us. Are we sorry just because we've had to endure some painful consequences of our decisions, or are we sorry because we realize that our sin in our heart is worse than all the consequences that result from it? Are we sorry because we just want to get God off our back, or are we sorry because we have offended the one who loves us so much? Fourth, Pharaoh was willing to negotiate, but not to surrender. Over time, Pharaoh was willing to make concessions. Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, well, you can stay here and sacrifice to the Lord your God within the land. And Moses said, No, that's not what I asked for. That's not what God is asking you for. Let them go. And then in the next chapter, Pharaoh says, Well, I'll let the men go, but the women and children have to stay. And then he says, Well, okay, fine. All the people can go, but the flocks and herds have to stay. Basically, Pharaoh's trying to keep the rope so he can yank them back, right? And God does not meet Pharaoh halfway. Because God is not a negotiator. And God is not our peer. And God does not compromise his demands. He's the immortal, invisible, only wise God. But even more than that, God is the one whose very own son shed his blood on the cross for us. And Jesus didn't shed his blood on the cross so that we could meet him halfway. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. He gave all that he had for us so that we could give all that we have for him, that we might belong to him completely without holding anything back. A long time ago, Charles Spurgeon picked up on this theme. He was a British preacher in the 19th century. He said, God's demand is that his people should go right out of Egypt and through the wilderness to Canaan, to their promised land home. He said, Christ did not come to make our sin a little more tolerable, but to deliver us completely from it. He did not come to make hell a bit less hot, or sin less condemnable, or our lusts a little less mighty, but to put all these things far away from us, to work out a full and complete deliverance, to put our miseries completely away and give us joy and peace in believing in him. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why he calls us to surrender and not just to negotiate because he's given all for us. And finally, fifth thing Pharaoh, fifth manifestation of Pharaoh's hardened heart, he asked for prayer, but he never prays. So lots of times Pharaoh says to Moses, pray for me. Talk to God on my behalf so that the plagues go away. Now, asking someone else to pray for you is generally a good thing. The Bible encourages us to do that. James chapter five says, if you're sick, call on the elders of the church to pray for you, confess your sins to one another, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So when we're weak, whether it's physically weak or emotionally or spiritually weak, it's a good thing to ask others to pray for us. Sometimes we can uh, hold on to and be held by the faith and prayer of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's the thing. If you only ever ask other people to pray for you and never actually talk to God yourself, it's a sign that your heart is not right with God. Because nobody, no, nobody else can, uh, no, uh, nobody else can repent of your own sin for you, right? You have to come to God through Jesus Christ. The way to get right with God is not to just ask somebody else to pray for you, but to come to God and say, Lord, I've messed up. I've hardened my heart. I've been stubborn. I've been selfish. I've worshiped other things instead of you. Please forgive me. I need you. Thank you. It doesn't have to be a complicated prayer. You can pray it in your own words, but that's what God wants. And that's what Pharaoh never did. So that's the encouragement. God is sovereign even over a man like Pharaoh. That's the, that gives us confidence in facing adversity, but don't harden your hearts like Pharaoh. The invitation is to come to Jesus today. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for what we can learn from all the different characters in the Bible and the stories in the Bible. And we thank you for what Pharaoh shows us about how to have a genuine relationship with you at the heart level. And We pray that you, that your spirit would work in our hearts. Lord, soften us where our hearts have been hardened. Lord, bring us to want to know you, to want to come to you. To acknowledge where we have fallen short and turned away from you. And we pray that you would renew us, forgive us, and set us on the path to walking with you. In Jesus' name, amen.